We are so excited that this latest message from Truth Movement Church can meet you where you are today. This message from TMC will help you to apply the truth of God's word to your everyday life. It's practical and powerful. Enjoy his word. Amen. Can we just give God a round of applause? So I'm going to be coming from Judges chapter 2, and I'm in the NIV. Okay, so we are going to read four verses of scripture, but we're, gonna, we're only going to pull from two. But before I even am able to get to that, I have to take you, um, I need to give you a little bit of context about the people that we're talking about. Because we commonly talk about the Israelites and we talk about God's chosen people, but it would be reckless of me to assume that everybody in here has the same understanding of Scripture. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair when you come to church and people start hollering out just names of people and just assume you know the association. Right. Okay, so I'm going to take you a little bit further back just for the sake of getting an understanding of who it is that we're dealing with this morning. Okay. So the Israelites, also known as the Hebrews, also known as God's chosen people. Anytime you hear that, we're all talking about the same people. These are God's chosen people. And it all started way back with Abraham. Now, Abraham, we refer to as the father of faith. So whenever you hear people say in church, the father of faith, that's who they're talking about. They're talking about Abraham, because that's the first real instance in scripture where faith is introduced. So Abraham was instructed, Abraham, and mind you now, I'm paraphrasing. There's a whole lot of text in between what I'm saying to where I'm getting. Please don't, this is the cliff notes of this story. Please don't feel like, now that I'm telling you this, you know all of Old Testament and you can go out and preach from that because there's a lot of gaps in here that you're going to need to go back and study. So Abraham was told, go leave your country and your kindred, gather up your people, and you go to a land that I'm going to show you. So Abraham did just that by faith, grabbed up all his people, his family, and they went on their way. Now, uh, through a trail of events, they ended up in a land called Canaan. Canaan is a familiar word you hear a lot in church. Canaan is a place that's also referred to as the promised land. Why is it the promised land? Because when Abraham got there, Abraham was having a discussion with God, and he was like, with all that I have, when I die, I don't have anybody to give my inheritance to. I'll have to give my stuff to one of my servants because I don't have anybody. And God promised him, no, not only will you have but you are going to have it in extreme abundance because through you, I'm going to birth my people, my chosen people. I'm going to give you a son. Now, mind you, he's old at this point. I'm going to give you a son, and from, the, from your offspring is going to come a nation that, is my, that I refer to as my chosen people. And they're going to go through some things, but I'm going to bring them back here to this promised land. That's why it's the promised land because he made the promise to them. I'm going to bring, you, I'm going to bring them back here, and I'm going to give them this place. Got it? Okay, so now, hundreds and hundreds of years later, these chosen people, the Israelites, are the people that are referred to in Scripture as the ones that were under Egyptian rule, uh, under the Egyptian rule. They found themselves in slavery. Okay, and they were in this bondage for 400 years under this harsh ruler, the Pharaoh of Egypt. This is where it comes in, where Moses comes in, and he's sent and he says, let my people go. So Moses, sent by God, goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And through a change of events, Pharaoh eventually decides to let God's chosen people go. So led by Moses, they're taken from, the, from bondage across the Red Sea. We've heard that story, the split the Red Sea. That's where that comes into play. Split the Red Sea, and they go into the wilderness. Now, it's funny because the wilderness, the distance between the Egypt where they were and the promised land, bondage, and the promise was only 11 days. But it took them 40 years to get from point A to point B. 
And you'll hear a lot of messages, things that happened in the wilderness, because there's a whole lot of things we could preach right there in that 40-year span. But in that time, they learned things about God. Now, mind you, if who they were wasn't enough, you're already God's chosen people. Like, he actually birthed you as chosen. The whole generation of you were his people. And through this wilderness experience, they got the chance to, through trial and error, learn things about God. They got to learn him as leader because he followed, they followed him through as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and they learned him to be leader. And when they didn't have anything to eat, they woke up and they'd be like, manna, he, it's manna, it's really like a bread that came down from heaven. It was there for them every morning that they woke up. They learned him to be provision, and they learned him to be healer because through their own obedience, they caused afflictions to come into the camp, and then he healed them. He learned to be, and this is all under Mo Moses's leadership, but they were introduced to different facets of God. That's probably what took them so long to get through the wilderness is because these were things that had to be taught. He taught them how to reverence the temple. He taught them how he was to be worshipped. He taught them how he was to be acknowledged, all in this process. So they get to the, about the edge of the wilderness, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses dies. Their leader dies. And God raises up Joshua as their new leader. Now, Joshua got like... Um, a warrior thug life type mentality where Moses was kind of passive. Joshua was all about the fight. He was there. He well, it wasn't there was nothing too big for his God. And he introduced that concept to those people. There was like a change of of leadership. And so Joshua is the one who actually gets them into the promised land. Are we following so far? Everybody got it? Bible class. OK, so. They get into the promised land and God explains to them that there's already people there. So when you get there, you're going to have to tear down their, the things that they worship. You're going to have to disrupt their system because you can't go in there acting like them. This sounds repetitive. Are you guys starting to sound familiar to you? You're understanding where we are? You, can, you can't go in there acting like them. You're going to have to take their land. You're going to have to get rid of them. Now, listen, don't befriend them because they are not my chosen people. You are. So don't go in there and get comfortable with them because they're called to be destroyed. They got to go for you to have your promised land. You get that. Don't let your kids marry them. He was specific. Don't let your sons marry them. Don't let your daughters marry them because when you go in and you compromise that, they will take you away from your God and you will start to worship theirs. You cannot afford to do that. He was very clear on this, on the front end of this before they even got into these places. You understand? Okay, so of course they go into this promised land and you know what? These people are not that bad. They, we've been talking about these people for years. They're not that they really ain't that big of a deal. They're kind of cool. So some they drove out. Some they decided, you know, well, we'll just make you slaves then. You know, we don't have to, like, drive you out. You're just going to be a slave and you're going to work for us. And then our people. And then there's some that be like, y'all ain't that bad. Y'all can just stay. And they just kind of lived among them. Some of them be like, you can stay, but you guys got to stay over there. Y'all got to stay across town. So they just kind of pushed them out to the side. Didn't but they comfortably still had them there for the most part. Okay. So. Now we can go into the text where we are and kind of have a better understanding because we're at the end of Joshua's reign because he is about to pass away. So Judge, Judges chapter 2, and we're going to go to verse 8. Are we there? NIV. Judges chapter 2, verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timoth Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Verse 10. After the whole generation 
had been gathered to their ancestors. Now, in Scripture, when it says gathered to their ancestors, that means they died. So after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. I would have to say that that very well might be one of the saddest verses of Scripture. Because I took all that time to tell you this long story of these chosen people and how they had this one-on-one -on -one genuine relationship with God. And how he had proven. Now, mind you, from the time they got into the promised land, way back to when Abraham was made the promise, there was about 400 and, I'm sorry, about 645 years in between time, which means he was planning for them 645 years before their existence. That's just how important they were to him. To get all the way to the promised land, sitting in what he had promised way before they were even thought of by, well, by their own people. And a generation was raised up, it says, that did not know the Lord or what he had done. How do you do that? How after everything that he had proven, now can you imagine he's proven as a pillar of fire that I will be your leader through the dark, that I will guide you through the night, through famine and all of this stuff, a generation, a whole generation did not know who he was or what he had done. That hurt. That hurt because I thought about how much I invest in my family to think that one day there will be that they wouldn't even know me or anything that like how how do you how do you do that and I, I found myself being a little bit no very irritated by the fact that that's so ungrateful that's so ungrateful and so entitled that you're living here in this promised land and you have no clue or interest in the provision for it or what your people had to do and had to go through to get it how ungrateful and selfish is that but then I had to realize um what really happened, you see, because they went into this land and they partnered up with all of the people that they weren't supposed to be partnered with from the beginning. And God told them that if you do this, you're going to get distant from me. He told them that if you go into this place, if you get comfortable with this people, you're going to take on their ways and it's going to change you. And that's exactly what happened. They went in there and they got so caught up doing what they were doing that they, they lost interest and instead of keeping the covenant, they conformed to the culture, and they lost their identity. Now, mind you, their identity as chosen people, they lost their identity. So I'm spending so much time mad at this generation for not knowing him and forgetting him when I realize I cannot be mad at them for what they did not know because of the generation that did not teach it. That's where the frustration really needs to be placed is the generation that did not teach it. Because how is it that you allowed for the, the whole group after you to never be able to acknowledge, know, or understand all that God had done and who he was. How is it that this God that you referenced, that had brought you through, you, you forgot somehow along the way to pass it? You forgot to model it. You forgot to teach it. You forgot to train it. You might have recognized it, but you forgot to pass it. We can't afford not to pass it. It made me think in preparation um, for this message. Um, 
I, people say to me a lot, um, you're always so calm. You're always so cool. And I'll be honest, I don't get worked up about much. There's not a whole lot that's going to get, you're, not, you're rarely ever going to see me on freak out. I just, I'm, that's not a channel that I have. Like, I don't get to that. And I, I thank God that it's, and I, I really believe it's a God-given download default setting that I have that it is not hard for me to find God in a, in a situation. Like, it could all be raining, but I can always bring it right back to but God. I can always find, there is a, there is a default setting that instantly just makes me grateful. And my, my praise is not far. I don't have to reach far to, to get it. It's just kind of in my makeup. That's in, and I thank God for it. I tell people it's a gift from God. But I hear all the time people tell me, you always just have, you always seem like a peace. You're just so strong. Everything is just calm for you. And while that is a really good compliment, it's not a compliment. It's something I could never say that I'm doing because it is, it just does it, you know, by itself. So in preparation for this message, I had this overwhelming moment of gratefulness. And God took me back to, we grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And um, my mom and dad, when they would go to work, we stayed home with my grandparents, my mom's parents. And they lived across the alley in the back behind the house. So behind the house, you know, they kind of backed into each other. You hop, you know, go over an alley. And they would drop me and my sister off at my grandma's house. And now my grandmother was blind. So it was always, for the most part, somebody else there, but she was our caregiver. And my sister went to elementary school because we we're a couple years apart, so we would take her to the bus stop, and she would get on the bus, and I would come back home, and I would be home, me and my grandma. And she always had a prayer time. That was her prayer time. It was the same time every day. It was her prayer time. And because she couldn't see and she was making sure she watched me, she would sit me on her lap, and I would have to sit still for her prayer time, you know, because I couldn't be milling around. I couldn't be running around. I had to sit on her lap during her prayer time. And I hate that I can't remember her face as good as I want to, but I remember her gray hair, and I remember her light-skinned hands, and she'd be clapping them at the, at the tips, you know, as, as she prayed. And the picture just came to my mind so clear. And before she would pray, she would always start going, um, Hallelujah, anyhow, never let life's problems get you down. And when life's problems come your way, lift your hands to God and say, hallelujah, anyhow. It brought such a warm memory to me when I could almost hear her when God brought it back to my mind. But that was the aha moment. That was it. Isn't God, oh, God is so awesome. She was never going to live long enough to teach me. My grandma died when I was three. She was never going to live long enough to model it for me. But right there in that moment, there was a spiritual download because I was going to need that message to be downloaded into me because the woman that I am today can't be shaken by what I see. Life problem, I can't afford for life's problems with the ministry that God has put on my life. I can't afford for life's problems to rob me of my praise. But God had her to download a hallelujah that was bigger than my life's problems. That she's not here to see the ministry that she instilled in me today. But I get compliments on the strength that she gave me long ago. And understanding that I can't ever say that life had to teach me. Because at three years old during my grandma's prayer time, she deposited a gift into me. An understanding that there is no problem bigger than my God. And I will always be able to resort to a praise. She passed it. She passed it down. The problem is, we are a part of a generation, probably the last of a generation of the praying grandmothers. 
And where we are right now, this generation isn't passing anything down. We're busy trying to be productive in things that don't produce fruit. We want to be successful in things that bring success but not fruitful. And there's a difference between successful and fruitful. Because, see, here's the thing about fruit that's awesome is inside of fruit, there is a seed. And the seed, when planted, has the ability to reproduce more of its kind. See, I get credit on the kind that you see, but I'm of the Dorothy Starks kind. Those of the prayer relationship that you sit down and you know to worship God. That, that's, she produced more of, of her kind. But we're chasing things that don't produce. So which means if we, not, if we don't have anything that will reproduce, then we don't have anything to plant. Because just as much as important as it is to have seed, it's important to plant. But see, God has deposited things in you. He's given you different gifts, different talents. He has given, just like he has done through the Israelites, different ways he has taught himself to you. But if you have not decided to plant that at all, then you'll never see any fruit from that after you're gone. It brought me back to a moment um, in New Church of Faith, Eatonville, and this had to have been over 10 years ago. I was at choir rehearsal and a lady came to um, praise and worship rehearsal and a young lady came with her grandmother to praise and worship rehearsal. She came in the door with hot pink braids in her hair and she wasn't at rehearsal for herself. She came because her grandma came. So we're rehearsing. I'm sitting with her grandma and we're going through the songs and we're going through the music and God gave me as clear as day, make sure she knows everything you know because she's going to do great things for me. Now, it wasn't make her into you. It was make sure she knows what you know. Say, God, you got to teach me how to do that. So make sure you model what worship looks like. Make sure you model how to reach out and touch God. Make sure you model the importance of reverencing God. Make sure you model the importance of building up the kingdom. Make sure you model the importance of family. Not because I'm going to make her into you, but for what she's going to be and what what I'm calling her to do. These are things that she's going to need to be able to stand on. This is our job to the next generation. I can say to you, I'm happy to report today that that young lady that might have only been like 12 or 13 years old at the time is serving God still today, who was ushering people into the presence of God still today, who is using her gifts and talents for the kingdom of God still today, who has a praise that knows how to stand up when life starts to press. She has her own weapon of praise that she knows how to to resurrect in herself today because there's something that had to be passed. My God, can anybody see Jesus in you? Are you leaving anything behind? And see, we we hear all the time, we hear, um, I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. You know, and we instantly think money. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. But uh -uh. when I hear fruits of my labor, I hear legacy. I want to be able to look back and I want my fingerprint to be on some of the, the God things that are taking place. It would break my heart if when I leave this earth that the best people can say about me is she loved God. That sounds like a compliment, right? That sounds like what you want people to say. You know what? She loved God. I will be disappointed because I need people to be able to look back over my life and say, because of her, I love God. Because of her, I met Jesus. 
Because of her, I learned how to pray. Because of her, I know how to serve. Because of her, I know how to sow. Because of her, I understand peace. I need everything to point back to God, but you have to be intentional because the next generation is not going to know your God if you don't teach it. The next generation is not going to have anything to stand on if you don't teach it because guess what? It does not matter how good your hair and your nails and bundles can be, whatever those shoes can be, how it is, but there is no fruit there. Those are things that when it is gone, it is gone. And I don't think anybody is teaching the believer anymore that we have an obligation to the world that we are in, that we have to live this thing, pass this thing, so that our next generation will recognize our God. So then that brings us to a little bit of a concern. Because well, in the 2000, 2000 Olympics in Sydney, Australia, um, the 4 by 100 relay, women's relay, Listen, we tried at this thing for a long time. We always have the speed. That part's not the question. But in, the, in 2000, I believe it was um, Lauren Williams. She went to go and hand off the baton in the exchange zone. Now, in, in, there's, a, there's a, a measure of space that the exchange has to be made. Yeah. And somewhere in that exchange, it, it isn't that she dropped it. She didn't. It just wasn't a smooth transition. And because of that, it cost them 0.18 seconds. USA lost the race in the Olympics because of an unsmooth transition. It didn't hand off well. 0.18 seconds. And they lost. They trained for this for years. And they lost by 0.18 seconds because the handoff wasn't good. My concern for today, for our generation today is, you have to have a full possession in order to make a smooth handoff. Because the handoff's no good if you don't have a good possession before you hand off. Before a lot of us, while we had grandparents, the praying grandmothers in the church that we grew up in that were able to give that handoff, we don't, we're not recognizing, and this is gonna call for us to be honest in this moment, did you grab the baton to begin with? Because I would dare to say that there are a lot of us who never really fully grasped the baton when handed, and we're still running. We're just running empty-handed. So we're giving ourselves credit for this race because I'm in the Christian race. But you haven't grabbed anything to hand off because there's a difference between knowing God and having God. And I, if we're not careful, if we don't take moments like this to be still and really look, we'll be comfortable with the fact that we know him. But that's not enough to make the transition. Can you hand me that water right there? Thank you, Minister Portia, for, get, for giving me this water. Because I'm going to need this. I need this. Because when, when life, sometimes life can just dry you out. And I thank God I got this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because every, every now and then you get thirsty. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go my preacher. But every now and then you get thirsty. And life is going to bring about some things that are going to make you kind of dry. Yes. But oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, there you go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And, and Pastor Portia just handed it. I said, whoo, thank you. Thank you. And when I need it, I just say, oh, thank you. 
Thank you, Jesus. Right here, God. Right here, God. Close to me. Thank you, Jesus, for being close. Right there when I need you. Right there when I need you. And this sounds good. And it looks right. Jesus, right here. He's right here by my side. I thank God for always being by my side. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I can tell you about Jesus because I even got him to show you. You see this? Because you're going to need Jesus. You're going you're gonna to need Jesus. And while this looks right and it makes sense, there's a big difference between this and this. Because while here is okay, I need something watered down on the inside. I need something, because see, the, the problem with this, and we do this, I, I can put this down when I need to. But when it's in there, and it's through and through, and it's doing what it, when it's the living water on the inside, then when life brings about something, I have something to model in front of you. I can show you that when storms rise up and when things get hot from the inside, that I can show you now and model you. And I not have to say, now watch me do this now because you're going to need to do this. That's not what I ever had to do. It's I just need to have it on the inside that I can live it on the outside so they can see. Because there was a day when we gave children something to imitate. I don't know about you, but I grew up in the church, and me and my sister used to play church when we got home. We would shout, and we would dance around the living room. We knew to hum the little shouting music. And then we knew to start shouting because we had seen something. We had something to imitate. But now we've given a next generation nothing to imitate. We've given them nothing that they can go and they can go and model and go and do. I was walking around. I used to um, make sure I was there at the church way before when my parents used to pastor at a church in Eatonville. I needed to be at church before anybody got there because I needed to walk around and pray in the building before it was touched by anybody. I needed to go up and down every aisle and I needed to make sure that I prayed. But every now and then I would have to take Kennedy with me. The way the morning worked out at the house, I would have to take, take her with me. So I would just sit her there, but I would just walk around. And she was only two when we went there. Can you hold this for me? She was only two when we went there. And one day I had walked out, I walked in there, I went and prayed in the, in the side room, and I came back out into the front, and I see Kennedy walking around, no taller than the pew, going like this. <laughs> and she's walking around, mouth not moving, but she's... And I realized she was imitating what she saw. Now, she doesn't have an understanding of what she was doing, maybe, or why. But she knows what prayer looks like. I'm asking you again, what are you passing down? Because we cannot get mad at the generation that does not recognize our God when we who know him never taught it. We who know him never modeled it. We never demonstrated it. We can't afford to at this point. It's unfair at this point to know that we are the chosen people of God. And I don't know about you, but I have a testimony that proves it. I have a testimony that proves that he picked me. You know why I know he picked me? Because I know the world didn't. My resume don't line up. My resume does not qualify me to be able to stand here before you and minister. I've done too much wrong. I don't always think right. I don't always react right. I shouldn't be the pick. I wouldn't be man's pick. But I'm chosen by God. And because of that, I have an obligation to the generations after me. Because the only way that they're going to know and understand my God is by what I model, not what I say. 
The only way they're going to understand what a sanctified lifestyle is is by what I model, not what I say. And the fear is, while you think you are teaching nothing, you are teaching a lot. Because while you are not exemplifying reverence to God, there is something that you're passing. We're going to have to be intentional to make sure that these traits of our father are passed down to the next generation. Now, my hope is, as we've sat under the word, we've been able to be honest with ourselves. One of my biggest issues or critiques I have with believers today is we love to be entertained by the word. We, we hear it from the outside. My hope and my prayer is that you can take what God has packaged and use it as a mirror. See, when I look in the mirror, I know where to put everything. Like my eyeliner goes here. and Because if we could take the word and use it as a mirror, so God, show me what, what to do. I don't need to see all the other stuff that's missing, all the other generations, and yeah, they're not teaching that. I have an obligation. People have to understand my God through me. And guess what? It's not when you're old. See, my, my praying grandmother that I'm talking about, before she was a praying grandmother, she was a prayer warrior for God. She didn't wait until she became my grandmother. And I think some of us think we have to wait until we mature into that stage before we have anything to pass down. But it starts in who I am now and who I develop now. These are ways and teachings and training of our God. Thank you, Jesus. Can anybody see Jesus in you? Are you giving anything to model? Will generations after you have anything to stand on by what you leave today? We sit here. Thank you for streaming the latest message from Truth Movement Church. We pray that you found something in God's word that you can deposit into your heart for future use. To stay connected with our ministry, like us on Facebook or Instagram, or learn more about us by visiting www.truthmovementchurch.org.